Hey friends, it's Courtney. We just wanted to give you a trigger warning for discussions on mental illness and addiction throughout the following episode. Hello and welcome to the Real Friends Who Read Books podcast, where my friends and I force each other to read books we wouldn't typically read, because that's what a book club is all about. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm here with my co-host, Courtney and Mary Page. Every other week, we explore a different book, diving into the themes, characters, and whatever else comes up along the way. It's just like a book club, but without the snacks. This is Real Friends Who Read Books. These are my real friends, and we've got some books to discuss. Let's get to it. This week, we're getting into Transcendent Kingdom, Yaa Jessie's stunning follow-up to her acclaimed first novel. Come for the books, stay for the banter or just come for some semblance of social interaction in these weird times, we won't judge. Gifty is a PhD candidate in neuroscience at Stanford studying addiction and depression. She spends her days in the lab studying reward-seeking behavior in mice while her suicidal mother lives in her bed. Her brother Nana died of a heroin overdose after an ankle injury from high school left him hooked on Oxycontin. As she turns to the hard sciences to unlock the mystery of her family's loss, She finds herself hungering for her childhood faith and grappling with the evangelical church in which she was raised, whose promise of salvation remains elusive. What did y'all think? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Would you add this book to your personal collection? Well, for myself, I'm 50-50 on this one. It was beautifully written, and I want to read more of Jesse's work, but I feel like you need to be in a certain mindset for this type of reading. It's intellectual and deep and a lot of it's sad. So uh, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it at times. And that's, I'm sure, because it made me feel things and I typically steer away from that. If it doesn't have like the veneer of <laughs> adventure or magic or space or or dragons or any of that, um, I mm-hmm. typically don't love it. Also, the my stuff kind of made me cringe. It was beautifully written, but I don't know if it's really my thing. What about you, Mary Page? I definitely enjoyed it. You know me, I like emotional reads. <laughs> um, it was definitely a heavier read emotionally with all the complex topics that were kind of woven throughout, but I liked how raw it was, if that's, you know, the right word. There mm-hmm. was a sense of uncertainty with Gifty. She was unreliable very guarded because of her past and though it was very frustrating at times it felt real i was very interested in how she was dealing with her fears and shame built on her religious upbringing it kind of brought me back to my own experiences growing up and attending a religious private school which you guys also attended Hmm. yeah i really feel you there with the private school thing there were some parts of this that really resonated there i think i kind of drew brackets around one paragraph and I was like they will know what I mean when I read this paragraph and also I mean what Courtney mentioned y'all know I'm a sad girl so obviously I loved this book this is right up my alley this is prime Erica literature so loved it she likes the heavy topics Mm, you know I love to be sad in my free time (laughs) it's a nice way to unwind One of the things that I wanted to highlight before we get into discussing the actual plot of the book was, did y'all know that Gifty's career was actually inspired by Jesse's real-life best friend, 
her best friend from Alabama is actually studying this exact same topic. And it was in hearing her talk about her work that she was inspired to incorporate this into the novel. And so I was listening to her do an interview about her research for writing Transcendent Kingdom. And she mentioned something about being blown away by the beauty and the intimacy of getting to witness somebody that you love in such a new context. And I think that that is so beautiful. So not to get too into the feelings right away, Courtney, looking at you, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that second part. Have you experienced that witnessing somebody in a new context and watching them really shine at something that you didn't really know was there before? Because I have, and it's just so beautiful. So I'd love to hear that. Um, I have, and it really is beautiful. Uh, it was when I first moved out here, Brandon and I were just dating and I went to some business thing and his company was doing a presentation and it was kind of, it was boring to be honest. But when Brandon got up, just the mood in the room changed. He got people clapping and there was a man in a wheelchair and he got him to stand up. Everyone was jumping, but it was exciting to see him in his element talking about stuff that he loves and getting other people excited about it. It was incredible to see and it was pretty sexy if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. <laughs> what about you, Paige? First of all, I just think that's it's the sweetest thing that, yeah, Jessie um, picked this topic because she wanted to better understand her friend. I think that's freaking adorable. <laughs> I really just want to be friends with her. She seems awesome. I know, right? Like, Do you want to join this podcast? <laughs> right? Please. <laughs> um, but honestly, witnessing Courtney become a mom is pretty awesome. I think it's so heartwarming to watch her and my nephew together or their whole little family, you know, for that matter. <laughs> if I were to ever have kids, which is like a huge if, <laughs> I hope to be as cool of a mom as Courtney is. She's literally coolest and I feel like my nephew is literally the luckiest. Thanks for starting the feelings right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> turn you into a puddle in the first five minutes. I find that to be bullshit, and I'm angry about it. How dare you love me and talk about how I'm great. You horrible person. In a similar vein, Jessie has woven so many autobiographical elements into this novel. She was born in Ghana, she was raised in Alabama, she studied at Stanford herself, and she said that her work is particularly inspired by this need for more diverse representation. Just as Toni Morrison called for when she said, if there's a book that you want to read but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And in an interview, Jessie said that she doesn't ever see her work not being centered around the multitude of experiences that women and Black people live each day. And so along with that, I wanted to kind of touch on the differences between homegoing and transcendent kingdom and the multitude of experiences that people of color live. Um, I'd be remiss not to mention her first novel, Homegoing. It was an absolute standout. It really got her on the scene as a breakout author. And I know that y'all haven't had the chance to pick it up yet, but it is an absolutely brilliant piece of writing and dramatically different from Transcendent Kingdom in so many ways. Homegoing follows the parallel paths of two sisters from the Gold Coast. One is sold into slavery. One marries, using that term loosely, marries a colonizer. And 
Each chapter in the novel follows a different descendant of theirs through the years, both in America and back home, through the generations. And so in Transcendent Kingdom, we get to see Jesse instead experiment with first person, single family narrative, more contemporary writing. And I wanted to hear what you two think about those decisions. Would you have preferred the homegoing style of following those generations through? Or do you do you really like this? Does this resonate with you? Um, well, homegoing sounds fascinating first off. And although I don't like the feels, is it is it a feeling story? Will I feel things? Oh girl, <laughs> you'll feel stuff. You will feel things. <laughs> will I feel things, she asks. Boy will you. Uh I mean, that sounds fascinating, and I do want to read that. I just have to be in the right mindset, like I said, but that's definitely on my list. I actually really liked the first-person narrative with Transcending Kingdom. A lot of my favorite books are first-person. I'm very invested in her. I really love her reading and just watching her interviews. I was like, I have to read whatever she writes. So I love that. (laughs) There's that. Um, also, I always enjoy flashbacks in books. Now with hers, I did find some parts confusing because I was unaware <laughs> there were flashbacks until like halfway through the chapter and I felt lost I'll sneak times. up on you. <laughs> yeah. And since it was jumping all over, I had no idea where I was going, but that <laughs> might have been on purpose. Who, so who knows? Um, I was listening to an interview she was in, and I was very fascinated with her explanation for the structure of her no- novel. She used a four-three-two-one structure, she described it as. So she it starts out with the family of four with the flashbacks, then it slowly goes down, showing the sense of a collapsing family. And their family balances each other out. And each time someone uh, leaves, they fall apart piece by piece. At the same time, we're digging a little bit further into Gifty, seeing why she has her walls up so high. I thought that was super interesting. I'll be real. Hearing about this intentional structure of starting with four and having a really evenly balanced family and everyone contributes in some way and there's this natural order to it and then slowly dismantling that throughout the novel and really drawing those consequences out learning that that was intentional like of course it was it's a novel she's a brilliant writer but you shared this and it absolutely blew my mind like I didn't catch it it was so masterfully done Mm -hmm. and so subtle yet it somehow supports and drives the entire book like just so absolutely brilliantly done blew my mind it is Mm -hmm. it's genius genius as an aspiring writer myself, uh, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn. That's it's incredible. Right? How do you think of that? Like that? Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. I'm really glad that you told us that. That was such a wonderful fact about this, and that flows so perfectly into this next question that I wanted to touch on of this topic of caretaking. That is such a prominent theme in this book that we see Gifty throughout the entire book, start to finish. She's so used to taking care of everyone from her brother to her mother that we see her not really realize that you also need to stop and seek that kind of care for yourself and that if you're not receiving that kind of care from your nuclear family and the places that you would traditionally find it from, you still have to find it from somewhere and you can't always get that from yourself. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on the different ways in which Gifty takes on this role of caretaker and who is reciprocating that for her? Who's taking this role on for her? 
Well, I think in some capacity, she's taken care of everyone in her life at some point. I mean, even when she's really young, she's constantly praying for those around her. Whether it's pious or not, her intention was to save them, to take care of them, to ensure that they are happy and healthy or whatever. Um, And then she took care of her mother and her brother in a lot of ways from keeping his secrets to helping her mother when she couldn't take care of herself and was too depressed to get out of bed um you don't see it reciprocated all that much you see it with Raymond but he grows tired of it it's not until she can find some solace within that she starts to let others take care of her yeah I agree with that um completely I feel like when it was the four of them, it was the perfect family dynamic. And then once one left, like she did, you know, it kept on collapsing and she just kept feeling more lonely each time. It seems like she's leaning in on science as a coping mechanism to better understand her brother and her mom. So nobody's really taking care of Gifty, including herself. She's constantly rejecting anyone that tries to come in, like you were saying, with Raymond or her friend Anne. Um, Present day Gifty is trying so hard to open up despite her mom's unwillingness. And at the end, you know, it seems like she's starting to open up. Um, to Catherine and Hands and letting them in. So there is hope that hopefully one day she'll be taken care of too. Yeah, I love that you mentioned her trying to kind of intellectualize her trauma and her family upbringing and trying to figure out, you know, where things went wrong and trying to maybe study some of this, the struggles that her family has experienced and the abandonment that it's led to for her. Um, Because I can kind of relate to trying to intellectualize your trauma. And then... I also totally understand this this feeling of not letting anyone in to take care of you. And it just gives me such hope that by the time we get to the end of this book, we see her changing her ways and letting her walls down and being able to let people in. Because the entire time, you're just rooting for her. You can see it. You're like, it's right there. Help is just on the other side of that wall. If you will just let them in, like, people are there and they want to help you. So it's really inspiring to be able to see it kind of come full circle there. That just gave me chills because it's it's really the truth. Like it's 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 so close. And as someone right. who has struggled with walls, um, that it really resonates with me. <laughs> so I think that's the physical reaction I'm having. There's hope. You just have to let it go. Let let things happen. Yeah, so close. Yes. Yes. And that is so closely related to this whole topic of mental health and addiction and depression and stigma that we touch on very heavily in this book. And one of the things that I really, really appreciated about the treatment of this topic here is how all of the research in this book is really ground has grounded addiction and depression and existing on this continuum. And for the context, really, addiction is just seeking great reward, even though you know that great risk is involved. And depression is kind of the flip side of that. It's just this lack of desire to seek reward or pleasure, even when you know that there is a great reward to be found. And so as we go throughout the book, we see these people in Gifty's lives living on two dramatically different ends of the spectrum here. And you can see Gifty studying this in the lab, but not really making the connection between how she views the mice and her relationship to her brother. And so I wanted to dig in a little bit to the cultural perceptions and mental illness. So 
we see Gifty's mom say, we don't have mental illness. It's an invention of the West. How do these cultural perceptions of mental illness really influence the ability to admit when you're struggling and the ability to receive help when you need it? I know that many cultures don't have the language to discuss this, and so when you don't have that framework, you can't accurately describe what's happening to you, and it can just create such a massive amount of stigma, feeling like you're the only one experiencing this because you just don't have the words to explain it, to have somebody else say like, hey, me too. So I wanted to hear what y'all thought about that. It's hard to think of mental health that is something that doesn't have words to it because I've been out in and out of therapy since I was a teenager. So for me, it's always been, it's never had a stigma. It's wild to me to think that there's not words for it, that there, there's not, it's not a thing in other cultures. And sometimes I'm envious of that because it would be cool if it just wasn't there, but it wouldn't erase any of the mental problems that, you know, I've had or that I'm dealing with. Courtney, you just said something that was really interesting to me because it kind of relates to like my own experience of learning. And like, I personally have been in therapy myself for like ever now. And so I've learned so much over the past years and I look back at the things that I have the words for now and how it's influenced like my relationship with my family and my relationship with the people around me and my ability to look back and be like hey like five years ago I didn't know how to tell you like the reason I was maybe avoiding communicating with you or avoiding connecting with you was because like these things were really triggering but like I didn't know why or how to articulate it and so I just avoided you in general because it was a trigger And after having learned a little bit more about that through just doing the hard work in therapy and then being able to, like, return to those relationships and maybe mend them a bit and explain, like, hey, it's not you. It's mental illness. It's trauma. And share that knowledge has been very beneficial. People being like, oh, I understand now. How do I, like, alter my behavior, learn alongside you, help you through this? And so I think I've experienced firsthand a little bit how... Once you're gifted with that language of how to accurately describe, like, this is what I'm feeling inside and, like, this is what I need to make it different or this is what I need from you to address it, it can really change relationships or, like, change how you interact with those around you. It's very helpful. So I can only imagine how isolating it's got to feel for someone like Gifty sitting there in this family that's super dysfunctional and, like, her dad's a continent away and her brother is spiraling and, you know, and then... Now it's just her and her mom, and, like, her mom won't talk about this, but she's trying so hard to connect and open up, but, like, her mom still won't talk about this. And just not having, like, that framework to connect on an emotional level. And so the only other avenue to explore this is academically, and thus Gifty chooses that as the career path. Right. After God, because she definitely turned to God first. And then I think that caused a rift between her and her religion because she wasn't getting a response that she, she needs a response from someone about how she's feeling. And so she starts writing to God and God's not writing back. She's trying to talk to her mother, but her mother doesn't believe. Yeah. She believes it's an influence of a West. It's not a thing. So where do you go in those circumstances? She didn't have a lot of close friendships and the one that she ones that she had were religious. And the one time that she did go to someone and tell someone about it was not she mm-hmm. they were not allowed to come see her anymore, you know? So yeah, 
I can't even imagine what it would be like right. to have support in that, even on, even just to discuss your feelings like that. Right. It's it's heartbreaking. Right. I just feel like there were so many elements of Gifty's childhood growing up that just had to feel so isolating from like mm-hmm. the immigrant experience to being isolated with this mental illness thing and not feeling like you're able to talk about it to like not having a sense of community, just like isolation. It's just like this big theme that keeps coming up. And along with that, Courtney, you kind of just got into it with like the religion there, but I wanted to talk about what messages Gifty and her brother are really receiving about from the church about race and poverty and how those two things intersect. Would love to get your thoughts. Well, first of all, PT felt very familiar like that character felt very familiar, especially in the climate that we're living in today. Um, it was he just made me. Ugh, we all know the a PT. Time. Yeah, we all know a PT. Um, but going back to the interaction that they had with him, uh, her brother had asked a question about missionaries, and uh, I think it was something about groups of people that just had mm-hmm. not been found yet, like. They're in isolated communities, so they haven't been saved. Right. I'm using air quotes again. You just it's haven't been exposed to that message yet. So, like, are you saved? Yes, exactly. And I think with the way PT had responded, um, I think that's when questions were planted in Gifty's mind of about her ideas of America and her in her religion and her undying faith that she has i think that she has a lot of questions planted uh when pt responded the way that he did but i think that for her brother i think he walked away from it with those questions that had already been there they were answered and they were answered in a way that he had already expected like he had a smile on his face um i can't remember how the quote went but he had a smile on his face after that question was answered because it's like oh yeah i figured that this was the case and then he ended up leaving his faith and walking away from the church um and i think that started her journey to transitioning from looking to god for her answers to all of the questions that she has because gifty is full of questions and um she started leaning towards science to answer those questions i think that's where this all started even if that didn't really happen for a couple of years this is where that question in her brain is like oh wait that's not right if that's not right then a lot of these things that i've grown up learning are probably not mm-hmm. right too. Yeah, that you know? yeah. What do you think, Paige? Um, yeah, I think Nana, like you're saying, is conflicted with God. So that's when he goes to the pastor and asks him if people in remote Africa haven't had the chance to hear about God, will they go to hell? And he just condemns he condemns people in Africa to hell so casually and this shocks, you know, gifty but maybe not Nana. I mean, like you were saying, that makes a lot of sense. Gifty learns that racism leads the pastor to believe that people that look like her belong in hell. So obviously they're super confused by this. And that's when I think Gifty really starts to question everything um, and really starts to, starts to doubt her religion. Mm-hmm. You can really see Gifty reflecting on this as an adult when she is attending that sermon at the Harvard Divinity School on literalism in the church. 
And there's that quote, my entire life would have been different if I had grown up in this woman's church instead of in a church that seemed to shun intellectualism as a trap of the secular world designed to undermine one's faith. Even Nana's hypothetical question about villagers in Africa had been treated as a threat instead of as an opportunity. And that is just such a wonderful illustration of how everything could have been different had Gifty had this community in her life. And Mm -hmm. not all churches are like that, but that just happens to be the church that Gifty's mom joined when they moved to Alabama. That was what was nearby. And so that sort of shaped that course of Gifty's life. Mm -hmm. Religion does do that. It definitely shapes your life. And if your childhood is such a, it's such a integral part of becoming who you are. And if you're in the wrong community, because it's religion isn't bad and I've had to teach myself that religion is not bad um but there are certain aspects of it there are certain groups of certain interpretations uh, yeah I I've, I've been mad I've been mad about religion because and we we've touched on this a little bit we all went to a religious school and I had a really bad experience and I kind of have taken that out on all religion and it's taken I'm I'm 31 now and I'm just now realizing that you know and you're walking it back <laughs> I'm learning to not be so mad at religion just at my experiences of mm-hmm. it you know but I think a lot of people have those ex- same experiences because they grew up in that community and that community teaches you all of these rules all these things and you come out of it and you're like whoa that's hypocritical that's not that's that doesn't help everyone that's not love for a whole community that's just love for people who look like me or believe yes. like I do and you know that's just such a hard thing to get past when you're young right and, yeah. that can really mess with like a, a little one's impressionable brain yes it did and then with you grow mine. up <laughs> Right? And then you grow up and you carry that with you into your adult world. And then you spend thousands of dollars in therapy to unlearn those things and learn healthier beliefs about yourself and the world around you. All that Mm -hmm. to say, I do fully believe that there are healthy incarnations of what organized religion looks like because I see it in my day to day. I know people who practice religion and are very involved in their churches. And it's very inspiring to see that. But it wasn't until I met people like that who really demonstrated for me this is what religion can also look like that I redefined this is what religion can look like because for so long like you I was mad and I was very upset and I personalized my own negative experience as this is the experience and then it took me a little bit of learning Mm -hmm. to realize like okay no this can be a very positive thing for people and just because it wasn't for you doesn't mean you know don't yuck someone's yum but that (laughs) took me a minute to learn but we since arrived there we got there don't yuck someone's yum I respect it we got there. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> Don't yuck someone's yum. I've never heard that. Yeah, I, that's my stance on religion. As long as you're not harming someone else, don't yuck someone's yum. That's why I think I really liked this book was because I related with Gifty in her journey of kind of struggling to see what she believes. Like that's where I'm at right now where I'm like, I don't know what to believe. So I think what I really liked about this book is that in the end, she was at peace and she found a balance because I hope to one day get there. 
Because that is what we we're all striving for. Because <laughs> that's yeah, the dream. <laughs> I I'm yeah. I feel like I really identified with her with when she was younger and she turned to God and she was trying to do the best that she could, being the best person that she could, and then figuring out that that's not always the way it works, you know? I don't know. No, that makes sense. She was trying to be the best version of what her religion told her it was. But she needed to find what the best person for herself was within herself that works in tandem with what she believes but she had to find what she believes first to figure out how to make it all fit and that's what we're all searching for exactly that is exactly where I'm at (laughs) thank you for helping me get my words out I need that we're gonna get there friends we're gonna get there one day I believe it (laughs) and with that now is a perfect time for y'all to wow us with your one sentence summaries let's hear it Beautiful writing of a mostly sad story about navigating through a life touched by addiction, depression, and heavy-handed religion that feels all too real because it is too real, but still has a happy ending. A book that shows the parallels between Gifty's neuroscience career and Gifty's religious upbringing, as well as the loss of her loved ones. You can't intellectualize your trauma, but Gifty will try. Well, that's that for that. We'll be dropping our upcoming reads in the show notes if you want to read along for next time. Coming up next, we have Ready Player One. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. And Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson. We're real friends who read books. I'm Erica. I'm Courtney. And I'm Mary Page. Get to reading. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. 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 If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Brandon Schmunk for our theme music. And to my boyfriend for coffee in bed this morning. Thanks, babe.